Yeah, it's great for me to be at Wildwood because uh, Bruce and I both travel to Latvia quite a bit, and uh, you hear about Wildwood everywhere you go. And uh, of course, you hear about Bruce, and he's had an incredible impact there uh, with the people teaching over the years. And I know on behalf of all the Latvians, I can say thank you for everything that you've done and, and supporting that ministry. The only downside in working in Latvia is that we both work with Ilvars. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've met Ilvars, but he's a problem child. And I, it's funny, I asked his mother one day, I said, how would you describe Ilvars as a child? And she said, gifted, but troubled. Anyway, I was with Ilvars, and, and Ilvars said to me, have you ever been to a Latvian sauna? Have you been to one, Bruce? Don't go. So I went to the sauna to relax, and I got naked with a bunch of men I don't know, and we jumped into this sauna, and it's 230 degrees. I said, that's the temperature we cook a turkey at. I said, I can't stay in here. I can't stay in this sauna. And so he said, well, would you like to get into a warm pool? I said, yeah, now that sounds good, a warm pool. So we left the sauna in the middle of the winter, went slipping and sliding naked down through, uh, through two fields, over two barbed wire fences, and we got to the pool just as it was icing up. And we dove in, and that's when I became a true Pentecostal as you could hear me screaming and yelling everywhere. And then he wanted to know if I wanted to go back. Well, then I was ready for the heat. Uh, I got back there and I noticed there were birch branches in, in hot water. And I thought, well, I wonder what those are for. And they said, well, lay down. And I laid down and they beat me with them. So when I got back to Riga, the capital, I said to Ray, an Irishman that was working with us, I said, listen, don't go with Ilvars. And if he offers a Latvian sauna, give it a miss. And I told him what it was like, and this Irishman got this panic look on his face, and he says, Brother, that's not a sauna, that's a deliverance service. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. I was in a deliverance service, all right. There's a true story about a pilot in World War I in uh, Africa, and um, he was testing a plane. And while he was testing the plane, he noticed that the yoke started to move on, and it was shaking. And in those airplanes, there was a control rope that ran from the yoke back to the wings. And when you pull back, it tilts the wings down and you go up. And when you push forward, it tilts the wings down and you go down. And he was noticing that and uh, he thought, what's going on? He looked behind his seat and there was a rat that had got on the airplane. And the rat was nervously eating at his control rope. And the fellow thought to himself, what am I going to do? Because if I let the rat go on, it's going to eat through the rope and I'll lose control and I'll die. But if I let go of the yoke and I go back and I chase the, the rat, I'll also lose control and die, so I don't know what to do. And then finally it came to him, here's what I'll do. I'll pull back on the yoke and I'll gain altitude, gain altitude, gain altitude, and the higher I go, the colder it'll get and I'll finally freeze the rat. And so he pulled back, and he went up, 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 and he froze the rat. Well, the point in the story is this. In our lives, there's many, many rats, aren't there? And they're eating away at our control rope. And sometimes your husband can be a rat, can't he? 
and he's eating away at it, and the kids can be a rat, and your situation can be a rat, and governments are almost always a rat, and they're eating away and eating away. And if you let it go on, you'll lose control and you'll lose your peace. And yet if you turn and you face it and it becomes your focus and your attention, you'll also lose control and you'll lose your peace. And do you know that I've found a secret that all I have to do is gain altitude, gain altitude, gain altitude? There's nothing the nearness of Christ won't fix in my life. That I have trouble on this hand and I have Christ here and when he's my focus, the troubles might be there but they don't overwhelm me, do they? And so I gain altitude and I move toward him and I find in him everything that I've looked for in other places. And we begin every sermon the same way. Jesus, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Father, you're welcome here. Would you speak just one word into my heart today? And I didn't come this far and I didn't get up an hour early to hear a man. I came to hear you. And would you speak to my heart? Amen. Bruce and I were talking yesterday and one of the confusing things about abiding life is where does obedience fit in to this life that I'm talking about? Because I say repeatedly that the Christian life isn't difficult, the Christian life is actually impossible. That only one man ever lived and that man was Jesus and the only way you'll ever live it is if you let him live it through you. And that the Christian life is actually a life of rest. That he didn't come to just get me out of hell in the future, but he came to get me out of my daily hell. And just as he was the only one that could take me into heaven, he's the only one that can bring heaven into me and heaven into my circumstance and into my situation. If God gets all the glory, then God does all the work and he's the one doing it. Well, where does obedience fit in to that kind of teaching? What are we supposed to do? And there are things that we do, and obedience is taught in the Bible. And in fact, I've thought for years that obedience was the most dangerous topic in the whole Bible, and it was one that I often, I often avoided. In Genesis 2.16, we read this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. In Genesis 3.11, he says, and who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's amazing that obedience to the commandment of God was the only condition that man had to abide in paradise. It was the only thing that the Creator asked of him. He didn't say anything about faith or hope or humility or love. Obedience included it all. Obedience is the one thing required of man, and it's the one thing that determines our destiny. It's the only way we're a blessing to the people in the world. Isaac was blessed because of the, of the obedience of his father Abraham and will only be a blessing when we're a people who are obedient. And we're to be known to the world and, and to God by this one mark, obedience. We've all read all the terrible consequences of disobedience and God's judgment in Deuteronomy on Israel for 40 years. Deuteronomy 11 says this, I set before you a blessing if you obey and a curse if you disobey. So paradise and heaven and earth are only a blessing if they're a place of obedience. It's the crucial theme in the New Testament, Acts 5.32. We're witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit that God gives to those who obey him. James warns about people that hear the word but they never do anything about it. 
John says this, and it's a very strong statement. If we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. Obedience is the hallmark of every Christian. And we can ask ourselves this morning, have we given it the place that God gives it? And if we haven't given it the place that God gives it, we'll find out that that's why we lack power and joy and grace and nearness in our Christian life. And anyway, if you were God and you went and stood on any street corner today and listened to people and watched people, I can promise you that you would long for obedience. Do you know that it's a central theme from the second chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelations? Obedience is talked about. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So we could ask the question this morning, are you witnessing enough? Are you studying enough? Are you doing enough? Are you pursuing God enough? Are you pursuing holiness enough? Are your priorities right? Are you leading your family? Are you making all the right decisions? Obedience is required by God. And here's a warning. If you read the Bible without a heart of obedience, the Bible that was meant to bless you will curse you because somehow you're reading a commandment and you're not keeping it. And the only way you cannot keep it is that you harden your heart. Now, I'm glad that's over. You encouraged? You excited? You ready for the rest of the sermon? Oh, brother, just preach the scriptures to us. All we want to hear is the scriptures. We just want to hear the word of God. Just give us the word of God. Well, I just gave you two pages of the word of God. How do you feel? And I saw the look on your faces. Well, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. And I already knew all the things I wasn't doing. And he's going to add to them. And he's going to tell me more that I need to do. And I'm just going to leave here discouraged. Uh, and in fact, if he keeps talking, I saw some of you. You had your pens out. You were going to take notes. But then you decided to just fall on your pens and end the whole thing and just say well that's enough of that and see obedience is dangerous number one if you don't speak on it but it gets more dangerous when you do speak on it because it can actually discourage people when obedience is presented wrongly and lead them into more disobedience and then there's another problem. When obedience is presented wrongly, it leads people into legalism. And legalism is this. You believe that obedience is the thing that makes you acceptable to God. And you believe obedience is the thing that brings you near to God. The flesh of man wants something to boast in. And we're trying to play God. And to the level that I can be obedient, then I'm more of a God than you are. And that's the problem that Paul had when it came to the topic. People in their flesh would grasp the teaching of obedience and throw away the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to what Paul says to the people in Galatians. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? What has happened to all of your joy? Do you know legalistic people are never happy people? You who are trying to be justified by the law, and people who are trying to be justified by the law are always angry people, have been alienated from Christ. And no matter how you want to interpret what Paul's saying here, we can all agree that it's bad and we shouldn't be doing it. He says, you have fallen away from grace. You, my brothers, were called to be free. 
when obedience is taught as the reason for my standing and with God and my acceptableness to God, obedience is actually going to become a stumbling block because, as I said, it will lead you into legalism. And a legalist will approach the Bible not to gain the fellowship of God or the understanding of God, but they approach the Bible because they want to know more and they approach it out of duty. And they're looking for what they have to do and what others have to do. And legalists become spiritual patrolmen. And they like to issue spiritual speeding tickets. Uh, brother, you don't have a tie on this morning. Don't you know this is God's house? How come you don't have a tie on? Here, here's your speeding ticket. Uh, uh, sister, now you've got on slacks. You can't wear slacks in the house of God. Don't you know that? I'm going to give you a speeding ticket. What are you doing? We're handing out speeding tickets. Legalists are always telling you what you're not doing and always putting the focus on yourself. And as I often say, if I had to think about you all day, I'd be depressed too. And so I don't want to constantly be putting the focus on you. But legalists have a pair of invisible glasses, and on this lens is written do, and on this lens is written do, and they put them on and they open the Bible, and all they read is do-do. And before you know it, they're up to their hips in do-do, 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 all the things that we need to do. And they forget that it's not our doing, but it's God's doing. And in Isaiah 28, verses 12 and 13, he says this, this is a resting place, and I want the weary to rest. This is a place of repose. But they would not listen to me, so the word of the Lord to them will become do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there, so that they'll go forward and fall backward and be injured and be snared and be captured. God wants you to rest. Read the book of Hebrews. Have you entered the rest of God? Because when you work, He rests. And when you rest, He works. And he gets all the glory, he's doing the work. But we become legalists by thinking of all the things that we need to do, and we become self-obsessed. Now, I ask this question to missionaries all over the world when I'm speaking in the pastor's conferences, and I'll ask this question of you this morning. Can you tell me five things that you need to do today to be pleasing to God, to be acceptable to God, to be in the will of God, to be near to God, and to be blessed of God? Can you tell me five things a believer ought to do? I think if I hand out a piece of paper, everyone will list at least five things, and you might list 25. And the immediate things that come to mind is I need to pray, and I need to witness, and I need to fellowship, and I need to give my money, and I need to pray my read my Bible, right? It's all things we need to do. But Christianity is different than every other religion because religion says you've got to reach up to get a hold of God but Christianity is God getting a hold of you, and it doesn't center on what you do, but what he does. And the second question is more important than the first question. And the second question is this. Can you just as quickly tell me five things that he's doing right now in this moment to make sure that you're near, that you're blessed, that you're in his will? What are five things he's doing? And see, it's very hard to come up with five things because we've been reading things with our glasses of dew. Watchman Nee was in a remote village in China and he was sharing Christ living in us. And one old man said, oh, I've known that message for years. I love that message of Christ. Do you know that Jesus does everything? Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus goes ahead of us. Jesus is our brother. Jesus cares for us. Jesus provides for us. And he went on and on and on about what Jesus does. And finally, Watchman Nee looked at him and said, I know I'm getting the message. 
Jesus does everything, but surely we have to do something. And the old man thought for a while and he said, yes, we have to sing hymns. <laughs> because it centers around what he does, not around what I do. And a legalist will approach the Bible to strengthen themselves, to become more acceptable to God through more obedience. And for them, the Bible holds absolutely nothing. You know the story of the little boy that went to Iguazu Waterfall and he stood at the bottom of it and he saw the water and he saw the power and he felt the power as the ground moved and he could hear it. And so he took out a little jar and he caught some of the water and he put it in his jar and put it in his bag. And that night when he was home, his mother said, how did you like the waterfall? And he said, it was amazing, Mommy. It was amazing. The power, the sound, the ground shook. And he said, I have a surprise for you. And he reached in and got out his little jar and he opened it up and he was frightened because he knew it frightened his mother when the whole room moved and when there was a great sound and everything shook and she saw the power and he opened it and nothing happened and he pushed it away. And his mother said, what happened? And he said, I think it died. Do you know what? The commandments of Christ taken away from Christ are dead, 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 dead. You fall out with God before you ever fall into sin. When it comes to the topic of sin, the choice isn't, is, am I going to sin or not? The choice is, am I going to look to Jesus or not? His teaching comes from heaven, and the only way that we'll live it is if the one from heaven is living it through us, and with his light will become might. If you believe that obedience will make you acceptable to God, you have a false theology and he's not allowing you to be obedient and that's why you're being frustrated because you didn't get the first things right. So we say this then, that obedience is dangerous if I don't talk about it because the Bible does talk about it and it is an emphasis, but it even becomes more dangerous when I do talk about it because we end up with a group of people with their eyes on themselves and their eyes on other people and their eyes off of Christ. Now, if God doesn't accept me because of obedience, the next question is, why does he accept me? When you were born, your parents gave you life and they gave you this life, but they also gave you an inner life, Adam's life, and Adam's life is cut off from God. And no matter what you do in your outer life, you're not going to change the fact that the inner life is cut off and you're going to end up going to hell. It's not sin that makes you a sinner. You're born with a life and you're going to sin. And that life is dead to God and you're not going to make it. Now, the day we recognize Christ and we invite him and say, you can be my life, I'm just not going to live on you because every unbeliever is living on him and he's taking care of them, but I want you to come and live in me. I now receive his life. And what's true about his life becomes true about my life. So I'd ask a simple question today. Is Jesus acceptable to God? Is he? Is he near to God? Is he loved by God? Does he have worth? Is Jesus your life? Colossians 3, 4 says he is. Is he? Is he? Well, then if he's your life and he's acceptable to God, what are you? If he's near, what are you? If he's holy, what are you? And we're working for the things that we already have. 
because he's become my life. And here's a very important question because you have to admit where you are before you can leave where you are. And here's the question. And be honest. Do you read your Bible and pray and come to church and tithe to get God's blessings, to get God's nearness, to get God's acceptableness? Or do you read your Bible and pray and come to church and tithe because you are near to God and you are acceptable and you are close to Him and you are holy? Why do you do it? Are you a grace person or are you a legalist? And I like to do everything, but I like to do it all because He's already done it for me. And I love Him because He first loved me. And it's God who is at work in me both to will and to do His own good pleasure. He's the one doing the work in me. And so I'm not doing things to get his acceptance because I already am accepted. If I can prove to you this morning that I'm better than your child, will you change your will and leave everything to me? Why? I'm better. Well, I'm not your child and you really don't care because inheritance becomes, comes because of birth. And I know this is hard to get our heads around, but if I have a Christian over here who's a secret alcoholic, and I have an unbeliever over here who never drinks and gives all his money and never curses, why does the Christian get to go to heaven and, and who's an alcoholic and the nice man doesn't? Well, it's not because of behavior, it's because of birth. You're accepted because of birth. And it's hard to believe because everyone in the whole world has accepted us because of behavior and now you transfer that to God and believe that he's accepting you because of behavior. I can prove it to you. There's not anybody who really likes you for you except God. Now, here's what I want you to do. Just clear your throat, turn to the person next to you and spit on them. (laughs) And how many people are going to go, well, God bless you. I'm glad I sat by you. I could have sat anywhere, but I, I sat by you. And the fact that you have a cold made it even nicer. I mean, thank, thank you. You're, you're not going to do that. Because acceptance is based on performance. And we're told that if we do A, B, C, and D, I'll love and accept you. Some of you are in marriages like that. So you do A, B, C, and D. Do you get love and acceptance? You get D, E, and F. And when you do those, you get more and more and more and more and more. And then one minus cancels all of those things, doesn't it? Betty forgets me. She forgot she left me at the the store, left me out in the snow. I was out in the snow for several hours waiting for Betty. No coat, getting colder and colder and colder. I finally went behind the shop and found a box and drug it out front and cut a hole in the front of it and put it over my head and was looking out me little hole looking for Betty. She forgot I was at the, at the store because I usually go home by myself and I went with her. She wanted to go shopping. I said, drop me by. I want to look at the tools. So I'm standing out there in my little box. And finally I see Betty come in the parking lot and I stick my hand out and start waving it and waving it for Betty to come. But she doesn't see me. She's driving straight ahead. And so I try to get out of the box, fall forward and slide out and I'm covered with mud and I see her drive away. So I got back in my little box. And I'm looking out my box. And then when you're out of control, you fantasize, you know, about what you're going to do. And I'm fantasizing, uh, and I'm thinking this. If she wants me to be a box man, I'll just live like a box man. I'm just going to mess my pants and smell like a box man. 
then when she finally does pick me up, I'm not going to take a bath tonight. I'm just going to get in bed and I'm going to be a box man. That's what I'm going to be. Just a box man, if that's what I am. I wish somebody just pour a beer on me and dump their ashtray. It'd be perfect. And I'm in that box looking for her. Well, finally, I saw her come. I got out of the box, threw it in front of the car. She hit her brakes. And I grabbed the door and I opened it up. And here's what I said. Blessed woman. I'm so happy that I married you. Thank you for having my children, for taking care of me when I'm sick, for holding me when I've been weeping, for encouraging me, for doing my clothes, for taking... Is that what I said? See, one minus and all the positives are out. But when it comes to God, we have to get this first thing right. He accepts you because of birth, not because of behavior. If you could have been accepted because of behavior, Jesus would have never come. And you're accepted today and you'll never be more accepted than you are today because you have Christ's life and what's true about his life has become true about yours. I know this is hard to swallow, but if you are never obedient again the rest of your life, would he still accept you? Would he? Yes. He gave his son so he could have you, and he's not going to let go of you that easily. He's invested a lot in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so when we look at obedience, we say, first of all, we have to speak about it. The Bible does. Second of all, when we do, it leads us into legalism, where we believe obedience equals acceptance. And then we are accepted, not because of what we do, but because of the life that's in us and the work of Christ and the blood of Christ, I am now acceptable to him. So the last question is this, why should I be obedient? What's the purpose of it? Because the Bible talks a lot about it. And I'll explain it to you by way of analogy. Have you ever been craving some kind of food that you want but you don't know what it is? There's just a flavor I want in my mouth, and I don't know what it is. It's just some flavor. And I'd really like to have that thing, because if I could just have it, it would satisfy me. And so you go to the refrigerator, and you take a little meat, and you go, no, that's too savory. And you take a little pudding, and you go, no, no, that's too sweet. That's not what I wanted. And you take a pickle, and you go, no, that wasn't it. I didn't want the pickle either. Have a little bit of ice cream. No, that doesn't do it either. A little bread and butter. No, that doesn't do it. And before you know it, you're completely stuffed, but you're not satisfied. You ever been there? And then you open the cupboards, and there it is. If only you'd seen it to start with. That's what you were actually looking for. You know that's what you wanted. Semi-sweet chocolate chips. <laughs> and I don't need very many of them. Just pour a few of them in my hand and eat them, and I'm satisfied. We were born with Adam's life, and Adam's life has an appetite. There's something that Adam's life in us wants to eat, and what it wants to eat, and the only thing that will satisfy it, is disobedience. And so we could, shouldn't be surprised when the unbelieving world is undoing all of the laws that hinder their disobedience. They're starving to death. They need that. It's what they crave, and it's what satisfies them. 
But the day you recognized Christ and he became your life, the Adam life was taken out of you and it was crucified. And now the only life that you have is his life. And his life also has a craving and it has something that it desires and something that satisfies it. And what that is, is obedience. He longs for obedience because it's fulfilling and satisfying. When you have an opportunity to obey, the thing that goes through your mind shouldn't be this. Am I going to be acceptable or unacceptable? Am I going to obey or not obey? Am I going to try or not try? Am I going to sin or am I going to be righteous? Am I going to love or am I not going to love? Am I going to be spiritual or am I going to be carnal? What ought to go through my mind is simply this. Do I want to be a satisfied person or a dissatisfied person? Because obedience is a thing that will make you very, very happy. And I've yet to see a man who hates his wife that has a glowing countenance. I've yet to see a woman who hates her husband that has a glowing countenance. We're not made for that. We're made for obedience. And obedience fulfills us and it makes us happy. I really want you to see obedience in a different way. We're going to leave here and we're going to go to lunch. And what if I stood at the back door and I held two plates and in this plate was dog food and this plate was steak and lobster. And you can pick what you want for lunch. Would you walk up to me and go, I don't know. <laughs> steak and lobster looks good, but, but dog food doesn't look bad either. I was sharing that example at a high school and some kid raised his hand and, and he said, what kind of dog food would that be? Well, the prospect of picking dog food out of my teeth all day isn't that exciting. And the contrast is so great that the choice is very, very simple. And the contrast between an obedient life and a disobedient life is so, uh, so blatant that it's easy to choose. Because one satisfies and the other one doesn't. Do you want to be a full person? Do you want to be a happy person? Then you obey. How much effort is involved in eating the thing that you love the most? So I get up in the morning in India. They don't have much coffee in India. I take the time I don't have, the money I don't have. I get in one of those auto rickshaws. They take me to some place. I got to get there early before the sun comes up. And I get my cup of coffee and sit there and I enjoy every sip because it satisfies me. I don't even think of the effort because it satisfies. It's making me happy. It's what I want. How many people in this room are chocolaholics? And here's our, there you go, okay. <laughs> Testify, sister. No, we got, okay. Well, you go to the chocolate shop and here's how you buy your chocolate. I have one of those, one of those, one of those. Yeah, one of those, one of those, one of those. Don't put it in a bag, put it in my hand. And you get your chocolate and you head home and you yell out to the family, time to eat the chocolate, get in here. And so one kid holds your mouth open, the other one grabs the chocolate, puts it in, the rest of them chew, and then everybody pushes down. You go, next. Is that how chocolateholics eat their chocolate? No, no, they go to the chocolate store like this. Oh, those are lovely chocolates. <laughs> Lovely chocolates. Oh, and that one right there with the shaved chocolate on it, the one that looks like, well, like a little person. Does it have a name? <laughs> now, that looks very, very nice. And, I, and I'll have one of those, but put it in a box in a sack because I don't want anyone else to see it. 
And so you take your chocolate home and you got it hid here. And you go past everybody. And then you get in your room and you open it up and you get your little box. And there it is. And it's even better if it's square. Because if it's square, you can eat the corner and then turn it and eat another corner and turn it and eat another corner. And you eat your chocolate and you're enjoying every little bit of your chocolate. And you get down to the last piece and there's kind of a grief that sets in. And you say, bye-bye. And you enjoy every bit of it because it satisfies you and you don't mind the effort involved in doing it because it has made you happy. And the whole sermon this morning is centering around one verse, 1 John 5, 3, that says this, the commandments of God are not a burden. Now we're taught that the commandments of God are a burden and that they're unnatural to man and we're imposing them on ourselves in an unnatural way and making me live in a way I don't want to live. But the commandments of God are not a burden. They're only a burden if you believe in keeping them you can cast Christ aside and gain an acceptance in your own effort. But when you see that he's only told you what to do that would satisfy you and make you happy, you see that they are not there as a burden. They're not there to make God happy, ever. They are there to bring about your ultimate happiness. And when you see that, everything changes. It satisfies me. I like to tell the story when my son was small and we were working up at our cabin and at the mountains at about 10,000 feet. And we did a lot of things together. He liked working outside and he comes up to me. He's only about that tall then. And he said, you know the man at the bottom of the hill? And I said, yeah, the man that lives by the lake. He said, well, I was throwing rocks in that lake and the man came out with a gun and he pointed it at me and told me to get away. And I said, what? And a lot of the guys up there will carry guns because we do get a lot of bears and and mountain lions. And I said, he pointed a gun at you? And he said, yes, and instantly I was furious. And I said, get in the truck. And he got in the truck and I started it up and he said, what are we doing? I said, I'm going to teach you something today. I'm going to teach you how to take a gun away from somebody and beat them with it. (laughs) And I said, you just come and go with me because nobody points a gun at my son period, and I will take the gun away from him. I know how to do that, and he should never be pointing that, and he won't be smiling when I get all his teeth knocked out, so you just watch and learn. (laughs) And you know, that was really a nice lecture, because a few minutes before that, I was telling him how wonderful it was to be in the ministry. (laughs) And wouldn't he someday like to be in the ministry? So he's sitting in the chair like this, shaking, and we're heading down there, and I am fuming. And I get to the bottom of the hill, and he's got a long driveway. And the guy walks out on his porch, and he puts his hand on his gun. And I looked at Noah, and I said, you watch and you learn. He won't have his hand on that very long. And I headed toward that guy, and I was steamed. But I have a prayer that I pray every day. Father, sometime today, I'm going to need 10 seconds before I do something stupid. Every day, just 10 seconds. Just give me 10 seconds before, I'm a, before I reveal the idiot that I really am. And it takes 10 seconds to walk to the man. And it was a strange experience because all of a sudden, I felt as though I was floating above myself and watching myself. 
And then all these things started going through my mind. That once I fight him, I'll become his slave. He'll move into my head and he won't pay any rent. And I'll be his slave because when I go to the grocery store, if he's there, I've got to go down a different aisle. If he's getting petrol, I can't stop and get petrol. If he's stopping at the post office, I can't stop there. And from now on, when I drive by his house, I'm always going to have to look this way instead of that way because I'm that man's slave. And then I heard a voice, love your enemies. And I said, but Lord, I can't love my enemies. And he said, well, today I'm going to teach you how. See, here's the thing. We all want the life of Christ, but we don't want the things that bring the experience, do we? Oh, well, I want to love enemies, just never give me any. I want to be a person of forgiveness, but never let anyone offend me. And so we don't like those experiences, but those are the experiences of life where we learn. And I said, but I don't have any love for the man. I hate the man. Well, invite me to be your love if you ran out. You're the branch and I'm the vine. Invite me to come. And I said, all right, come and be my love. You come and be my love. I have no love. You come. You're in me. Your life is in me. You're loving. You love that man more than I can imagine. You come. Just then I stopped in front of the man. And he goes, what do you want? And I reached in my pockets and I said, uh, I, um, I came to give you the keys to my house. Because we live out in the country and there's no need for you going to town to get supplies and to get a hammer and to get nails when you run out. Instead, here's the keys to my house and all you've got to do is go there and you can get anything that you need. And you're building a fence and I've got extra fence posts so I want to know where to deliver them. And the man looked at me and he smiled and he said, I've always wanted a neighbor like you. He said, how about a cup of coffee? And I said, nah. And so I went, you know, and I turned around and I looked at my son. He was going like this. I was the two best dads that he had. He just didn't know which one he was living with. And we went walking away, and I said, I know I confused you, but I told him what happened to me. And I said, you know, mate, there's a way and a not the way, and Christ is the way, and every other way isn't the way. And I said, look how happy I am right now. Look how satisfied I am right now. Would I have been that way after the conflict? God told me to love an enemy because it would bless me. Enemies wound us. People do wound us. In relationships, you get wounded. That's what relationships are about. The church is all about relationships, and it gets messy, doesn't it? And a relationship's like a bank account, and we make withdrawals. And if I know you long enough, I'll make a withdrawal. And it's impossible for you to not make a withdrawal from people in this room. The important thing is we made enough deposits we can handle the withdrawal. We do get wounded. We do get hurt. We do get offended. But the thing is, it's your job to keep the wound clean. And we keep the wound clean and we're able to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In every situation, ask the question, do you want to be happy? If you enter a room and everyone there is slandering you, do you want to be happy? You can bless everyone and love everyone and walk out of that room happy. Or you can enter into the debate and leave there miserable and dissatisfied. Now, here's something I want you to remember. If I forgive my brother, 
if I lay down my life for my brother, if I train my eyes, if I train my tongue, if I bring every thought captive to Christ, if I give as he has given unto me, if I read my Bible and memorize the whole thing, I will not be one bit closer to God. Do you believe me? Because the acceptance is in Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you this, I will be happy. And the commandments are impossible, but he lives in you, and he lives those things through you. And you lay in bed at night and let the enemy whisper to you everything that's wrong with you, and everything that's wrong with you is your PowerPoint because he wants to be that thing for you. And as we said this weekend, he has a name, and his name is I Am, and you have a name, and your name is I Am Not. He's the I Am, and you're not, and he'll be to you everything you're not, but he won't be to you what you're not until you admit what you're not. So when you're in a situation, don't get frustrated, admit what you're not. As I walked toward the man, I admitted that I had no love, and Christ came and met me, and he was my love, and he filled me, and I was completely happy and satisfied. For the first time in my life, I really began to see why David said that he loves the commandments of God. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was his real food. And that same Jesus that said that lives in you this morning. And he still desires the same thing, to do the will of the Father and to complete the work that he was sent to do through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and our hearts rejoice and we sing as we see that you accept us because of Christ that you commanded us in your original commandments that we just rest, that we really rest, and we rest because we have a God that does all the work. And Father, thank you too for all the commandments, for everything that you've given us that fills our hearts, that fills us with joy, that fills us with happiness. As we leave this place this morning, Lord, there's so many things that we can't do. And I would ask that in the power of your Spirit, you would encourage us that you will do it through us and that you would come and you would do that and that we might be known as a happy people, as a joyful people because of your work and the work of your son. We just thank you in his name. Amen.